Patrick Harrison Price for Thursday, December 14th, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Ball Center, downtown Vancouver. If you're heading to a game or you're heading to an event downtown, why don't you make it a staycation? Call the wall, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price. Grace Ass hitting switches, conducting things this show presentation. Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan of the Richmond Auto Mall has two of their best sellers with fabulous financing rates right now. Get the 2023 Rogue with rates from 3.99% and the Cash Guy, its cousin, uh, with financing from 4.49%. Go check it out at Applewood Nissan of the Richmond Auto Mall. It is all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Will a Canucks goalie ever wear number one again? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube, uh, inspired, of course, by Roberto Luongo coming back to town, member of the Florida Panthers, and, of course, the huge Ring of Honor ceremony Thursday. Now, Frank Corrado used the term, the phrase soft retired with us on Wednesday's program, effectively believing that this number is not going to be in circulation for the Vancouver Canucks, or if it is, it is going to be a very long time before anybody gets that number. You have also pointed out that there are very few goaltenders that now wear number one, comparatively speaking, to yeah. yesteryear. I mean, you know, Roberto wore number one in part because that was what goaltenders wore back then, and uh, certainly the ones that he looked up to as a young guy. But as he always said, number one, he says it all, doesn't it? Um, I, I voted the, no. I voted no because I just... I can't see it anytime soon. I leave open the possibility, but I voted no. Um, I voted yes. Um, ever is a long time. Ever is a long time. Ever yeah. is a long time. I mean, they might only have 10 years if they decide to retire the number officially sometime again down the road. If a new management group comes in, if enough time you know, goes or by. And, ownership group. Right, could yeah, be, you yeah. never know. So there could be a change uh, of but pace we there. Think, but we think it would have to be sort of a upper echelon NHL goaltender getting traded or signed here. There's not an upper echelon goalie right now wearing number one in the league. So you're going to have to see that happen. Jeremy Swayman has a long way to go before yes. he gets number one. Before the Canucks covet yeah, his services. Exactly. And yeah. give him number one. Yes. If they bring him down. Yeah. Now, I've also left open the possibility, if you were to draft a premier goaltender prospect, a first-round guy, and very few go first overall, but a Marc-Andre Fleury type, Askarov, mm-hmm. uh, even maybe a Corey Schneider, you know, a... a, a a later first-rounder, but a guy who turns into the quote-unquote top goaltending prospect in the world via the CHL or via the NCAA ranks and makes his way up through your farm system because you know goaltenders are going to spend some time in the American Hockey League. I, I, I would be interested to see that test case, that example. The scarf was 30. We're talking the type of player. Right, right of course. Yeah. What was he, the 10th overall pick or? Yeah, something like something. that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, so I, I do wonder about that profile of player at some point. But 11th. yeah. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I I, I think it is going to be a long time and, and rightfully so. And of course, there's also the presence of Kirk McLean, who continues to work for the Vancouver Canucks and Canucks Sports and Entertainment. So, you know, I, I do think uh, 
there's going to be deference shown to both men with that number here in the near term. Roberto Luongo met the media at Rogers Arena. He was his usual chatty and humorous self. He was asked what his time with the Vancouver Canucks meant to him. And I mean, listen to this answer. He, every right note. It was the most important stretch of my career. Uh, I think, um, you know, it was when I was in my prime. Uh, you know, we had a great team. We, uh, we were in the playoffs. We made a, you know, a run to the cup, uh, played in the Olympics in the city, uh, which is unbelievable when you think about it, you know, uh, that it all came together like that. So uh, it's a huge, huge part of my life. Um, always will be. And that right there is part and parcel of why, uh, well, I think it fuels the case that his number should be retired. But I also think it's part and parcel of why, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but but I get the sense he's a little disappointed that it's Ring of Honor and not retired. Because the Florida parts of his career, like we look at it and go, oh, he's, you know, some of us up here look at it and go, Oh, he's more a Florida player than he is a Vancouver player. He played more games there, and, you know, he's the all-time Florida Panther still to this day. But from Roberto's shoes, like this is, this was the, uh, this was the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I mean, the the lifeblood of his career was yeah. here. I mean, he doesn't playing in the biggest games was here. You know, like the competitor that he was, all of that happened here. You know, with all due respect, in Florida, it was often playing out the string. It was often, come on, Louie, let's see if you can, you know, stop enough pucks tonight to give this group in front of you a fighting chance to win a game in a season that's probably not going to end in the playoffs anyways. And, and even the Olympic Games don't um, – they're not considered theoretically for this honor, but I, I think it just adds to the mystique of oh, the player. And, but why wouldn't you if yeah. you're the Canucks? It happened in your building. How many buildings say, yeah, we hosted an Olympic gold medal game, especially the likes of that one? Yeah. I mean, Blake, 13 years later, 14 almost, remains the best hockey game I've ever seen. Yeah. I, I – I did have exchanged a couple messages with Roberto a year ago. I said I wouldn't report it, but I think it's benign enough that he wouldn't care if I revealed it. I asked him, I said, Could, did you ever ask them about retiring the number instead of uh, instead of just the ring of honor? Mm-hmm. And he said, no. no. I, I wouldn't. He said, it I didn't feel, yeah. He says, I respect, I respect their decision. So he, yeah. in typical, you know, Roberto Luongo, he, he's... He's a uh, he's a company man, and he he has a strong affinity for this organization. If this is the direction that they wanted to go, he's he's more than willing to to play ball and go along with it. Yeah. So. He was asked about his teammates here in Vancouver. Take a listen. It was a great special group. I mean, we had uh, you know it's it's like every other locker room, but I think guys really generally loved each other, cared for each other tease each other all the time. I remember countless ping pong tournaments, cards on the plane, um, really tight group, you know, and um, 
the fact that now you see them sprinkled a bit everywhere around the league is fun because then I get to see them, you know. I get to see them uh, when we're in Toronto. I get to see them when, when I'm here or wherever it is. But uh, uh, it's nice to, that they stayed in, uh, you know, in touch with hockey and, and in the league. And um, it, these are memories that uh, we built together for all those years that, that, uh, that live on. And, we, you know, whenever we see each other, we always like to reminisce a little bit. Well, and, and here's the thing. This is back of the uh, cocktail napkin stuff. This is not meant to be comprehensive in the entirety of his teammates here in Vancouver from the moment he got here till the moment he left. But from the 2010-11 team, you got Alex Burroughs working as a assistant coach with the Montreal Canadiens, Manny Malhotra in the same um, capacity with the Toronto Maple Leafs. You have Henrik and Daniel and Chris Higgins and Michael Samuelson, who all work here for the Vancouver Canucks, and you have Jeff Tambellini, who was part of that team who works for the Seattle Kraken. So just a um, a snippet of the teammates he played with here in Vancouver and who some of whom stay involved with the game, and Roberto does, of course, as well as an assistant general manager with the Florida Panthers. You know, frankly, of all the players I covered here in Vancouver, Blake, I was most sure that he would follow a path into yeah. hockey at a coaching or an executive level because he's just so damn competitive. He just so loves being at the rink and being in the environment. And, uh, you know, that shines through in virtually every conversation you have with Luongo. The joy for this sport is omnipresent. Well, and it, it seemed like a quaint answer uh, or a quaint a dot to connect back in the day when he was heading up the – NFL pools, uh, you know, that sort of thing uh, within inside the team. But there was great organizational capacity shown early. But honestly, the the love of living vicariously through the transaction, if you will, mm. it did give you an indicator that he would n- now he gets to play fantasy GM, only it's not fantasy. Yeah. Of course, it, you know, he's not GM, but you know what I mean? He, yep. needs, he gets to be a part of that machine. Of course, he would be interested in doing that. Mm-hmm. Stands to reason. wonder if he vetoed any trades as fantasy football commissioner. <laughs> now, this one doesn't pass the smell test. Go back to the drawing board, Kessler. Didn't He played with, like, Wyatt and some of the early Canucks Twitter folk in a league, and I think that was part of That's his right. personality coming to Yeah, fame. no, the, the, the guy was addicted to competition. So you yeah. invite him into a fantasy football league, you know he's joining. Yeah, yeah. Now, the career highlight, and look, for some it's, alas, it's not in a Vancouver Canucks sweater. For some it's even bigger stakes. Canada and a gold medal game in Vancouver. Here's his recollections of that memorable night in February 2010. I only remember the last play, (laughs) so... Um, and I look, I watch it all the time because it always comes up, right? Um, and uh, I just, I, wanna, I don't want to say too much because a lot of it has to do with my speech tonight, so I don't want to give everything away. But um, when the goal happened, I just remember like there was so much pressure, right, in that moment, given that it was the Olympics in Vancouver, Team Canada. Uh, I just felt like such a huge weight lifted off your shoulders because we wanted to get this done, obviously, and we uh, wanted to get it done on home soil. And uh, it's just a a euphoric feeling uh, when the goal went in. 
little preview there of what you're going to hear at Rogers Arena pregame ceremony. Now, look, uh, Roberto was the second-best goalie on the ice that night. I think that's fair to say. Ryan Miller was extraordinary in the USA net. Both goaltenders made some amazing saves throughout the course of that hockey game. Blake, you may remember the glove hand that night seemingly was spitting out pucks right into the low slot. I can remember going into the concourse for the intermission between the third period and the overtime uh, in a semicircle with Ray Ferraro, and somebody asked him, Ray, how do you feel about the game? And he said, I'd feel better if Roberto didn't have an eject button in his glove hands because <laughs> that wasn't the tidiest night for Roberto. In terms of puck and rebound, well, I think that's where the nerves. I mean, a goalie expert would be the uh, better person to ask. Grady can weigh in, but I would guess a nervous goalie—that's one of the first things that gets affected—is your glove hand. Well, I also wondered if it was just the pure speed and aptitude of the game, that, where you're too. used to playing an NHL game, where you know some of the shots that are coming at you aren't exactly from the likes of. A Ryan Kessler stick, a Patrick Kane stick, like all of these amazing American also, shooters. Also not wearing the uh, most warning equipment either, right? Like that's the equipment that you've had to purposefully wear in during practices to make mm-hmm. sure that it's it's supple enough. So all those might have contributed. Uh, but, hey, he got the job done. And, and to him, that was probably some of his nerves, knowing mm-hmm. I can't be the weak link here. We've certainly got enough talent to win this gold medal. Well, you know, the, the the goalie can so single-handedly be pointed to as they would have won if not for X. And he didn't want that as his legacy. No. So he just needed to be good enough. He didn't need to be spectacular because the good the team in front of him was so spectacular. He didn't need to be the best player on the ice. Um he was he was good. And he says euphoric. I can remember being in the mix zone when he blew through and it was I mean, every single Horror on the guy was lightened and alive. Like mm-hmm. the eyes were so, you remember Roberto with those wide eyes. The eyes were so wide. The smile was so broad. It was an amazing scene. Okay. Well, we had Gillis on the show yesterday, Wednesday. He, uh, in, I mean, he took us through effectively the end of Roberto's tenure with the Vancouver Canucks. And of course, it, Succeeded that decision by John Tortorella to start Eddie Lack in the Heritage Classic. He was asked today about the part departure from the Vancouver Canucks, and here's what he had to say. Well, I, it wasn't a trade request, so I don't know what the story is, but uh, it was more of a mutual uh, with with Mike Gillis. Uh, I think you know Corey was was coming on, and we had a discussion at the end of the year, and and it was. I think we decided that it was best, you know, if I think I moved on and, and Corey was the guy. So it wasn't really a trade request. I think it was more of a mutual uh, decision. And uh, um, at that time, you know, I mean, Corey was lights out. So obviously I, I, I obliged and, and we tried to work together to work something out. Very revealing answer there. Now, you remember Gillis told us he didn't want to be in the fishbowl here anymore. And okay, understandably so. And I'm not sure you would have gotten this answer from Roberto while he was still playing with Florida. But he basically just said there, Blake, he saw Schneider coming to take his job. Yeah. 
and Roberto wasn't going to be one of these co-star, you know, like that wasn't going to be a thing that lasted a long time with yeah. Roberto. 1A, 1B was not, I know they had some fun with the thing one, thing two thing, but Roberto was a starting goaltender. He was a franchise goaltender. He was not just the guy who got the majority of the starts. Well, he also knew that he had, so, so when you know that you're still good enough to be a starter and you know that you still have, um, stock in the league you also know though that the guy coming up has got way more years ahead of him and and is good and you know the team is probably going to say well let's transition to the younger guy he's cheaper and we're going to have him for a a lot longer time so he just read the tea leaves again fantasy gm at work here going who would i rather have i'd probably rather have the cheaper younger guy as i'm building my team so he's probably just realist that's quite a feather in Corey's cap though because roberto didn't you know typically acknowledge didn't pump tires well (laughs) he was very complimentary of other goaltenders but i'm not sure i've ever heard him say and not necessarily in these few words but he's better than me and what i heard there was effectively Corey was better than him well i don't know about that i think you just saw that at the very least, he was a, an excellent goalie. That the talent and potential yeah. was there for yeah. sure. Um, fellow fantasy GM weighing in here, do you guys think <laughs> one of the faults of Mike Gillis, obviously not rebuilding the system, but the counter to that would have been, well, he had a chance to trade Schneider earlier and try to extend that 2011 core window. Instead, he was looking further down the road to try to get a center defenseman, like he mentioned to us. Yesterday, I thought there was an opportunity kind of missed in that window, you know, 2011-12 before they had, I think it was, it was 2013 draft when they pulled the trigger. Do you think they waited too long to make that deal? Obviously, the deal I have makes made... what looks great now, especially with the trade tree filtering down to Heronic. But it seemed like there was a missed opportunity to extend that core's window. I have argued this with Gillis and Gilman many times in the years since that if they move Schneider a little earlier, perhaps they have reinforcements reinforcements either on the blue line yeah. or in the forward group so that Better when than... the bodies start going down in that Boston series, they yeah. have a little bit more in the tank. Oh, you mean that early? Oh, yeah. They would argue we needed two goaltenders to get to the Stanley yes. Cup final. Yeah. And they argued something at the time and have continued to over the years that I think does – look a little bit better with age, and that is what Mike was talking about on the show Wednesday. They had more accurate measurements of fatigue levels and what fatigue did to players. Yeah, right. I I think if you're... That we knew at the time and that we've now come to accept as doctrine, so to speak, with load management and everything we do, when we worry about travel and things like that, that is part of the discussion now around... I think Sports if you're going to get into a time machine, you get into a time machine to summer of 2012. Yeah, and you do it then. And that season was that when they went. But at that point, you're you're Derek Roy, David Booth, you know Sammy Paulson. Yeah. I mean, Derek Roy didn't want to bleed here, but he was the best centerman available when they yeah uh, on the trade market. But that's kind of like where I'm coming from. They were trying well, to upgrade. You're that saying team. 2012 though, coming off a of president's tro- uh, trophy. Yeah, but the music effectively died. In that playoff series, well, 
But did you need to admit that to yourself? Like, well, I mean, I mean you, you went back to the playoffs the next year and got your ass handed right. to you by so, San Jose. So if you've made the you trade, you a Schneider trade. Then what? Does that affect? No. Does that affect yeah, that twelve thirteen season? So that when you're into San Jose, or maybe you're not even in that playoff series because you've done better. I mean, maybe that was the play. I don't know. When? Uh, when? Uh, what summer was it? Uh, it was thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. And frankly, um, I think if you're playing that game. Grady, I think you also go back and look at potentially trading Cody Hudson after the World Junior Gold Medal in well, 2009 yeah. when his stock was as high as it ever was going to get and when he was blocked here by Henrik and Ryan uh, Kessler for the foreseeable future. And his skating was what it was, mm-hmm. which was to say not that great. Was there <laughs> friction already with his dad yes. at that point in the yes. injuries? Yes. Yeah. yes. They were... Um, with the Brampton Battalion wondering why the second-line center from the Brampton Battalion the last the previous season, Matt Duchesne, was already in the NHL. Yeah. And the Canucks said to them, because he plays for a horrible Colorado team, we have two studs playing center at the top of our lineup. Okay, here's the big question. You put it to Gillis yesterday. You put it to Gillis Wednesday. He said his answer. How does it match up with Roberto's? J-Pat put it to Roberto today. It was an incredible line in the moment, but with the benefit of hindsight now, did your contract suck? <laughs> well, you know, that I, I don't even know how to respond to that, but uh, I'll just give you a little bit of the background over that. I literally, 15 minutes before I came out, uh, found out that I wasn't getting traded to Toronto, so... Um, so it was a little bit emotional at that very time. Um, didn't really have time to regroup. And, um, you know, obviously, I, you know, the contract didn't suck, but uh, for certain reasons it did. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I just remember it being so emotional in that very moment just because of what had transpired 15 minutes prior that uh, – uh, I wish I would have had a few more minutes to, to maybe gather myself before I went up there. He says he was emotional in the moment, but when is Roberto not emotional? Let, but let's let's use the evidence that we've got here. We've got Mike Gillis yesterday telling us that there was one team that he just refused to go to. He didn't want to be traded to. Mm-hmm. Roberto makes it sound like he's dealing with the disappointment yep. of not being traded to Toronto. We'd always sort of assumed that maybe he had vetoed the trade to Toronto. Maybe that wasn't the team. Well, the other um, Mike wouldn't. The give other us the story detail. there is that at the last moment, Dave Nonis asked them to retain uh, money, and that was a red line for the Canucks. Nonis, of course, was the GM in Toronto and looking to acquire Roberto for a second time, mm-hmm. bringing him here to Vancouver in the first place for Todd Bertuzzi. I. Uh, I do remember, like, eyeballs bulging out when he made that statement. And, of course, he meant it. His contract sucks with regards to finding a trade fit in a capped world, not to mention the fact that it was one of the long back-diving contracts that we learned after the fact could be subject to cap recapture penalties. But when he said it, and of course, what was he making at the time, Blake? Six million dollars a year, or whatever it was. You had. Do you remember our inbox that day at ten forty? Like P 
people were furious. Yeah, yeah. This guy's making six million dollars. I, you know, I take that sucky contract. Like there were a lot of people that day that felt like there was an ingratitude around Roberto Luongo that he articulated it. Yes, and did not go over particularly well because I think a lot of Canucks fans didn't have all the information and were trying to sort of figure Roberto out in that moment. And, and to be fair to Roberto, in that moment. It was implied, I think, dot, 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 well, for this purpose. I, I think a lot of us drew that conclusion, yeah. Blake, but I think a lot of fans no, took totally. the statement flatly yeah, totally. and, and had every right to. Yeah. Um, you know, when do you hear a, when do you hear a professional athlete you know, getting paid that kind yeah. of money make that kind of declarative statement? Uh, on, at the time, one of the richest contracts in the NHL. I mean, it was the... Damnedest juxta, juxtaposition there. And, yeah, we would soon come to find out that there was a trade available with the Toronto Maple Leafs that never went down. Now, look, I think at the end of the day, it, it worked out, right? Like, he did go back to the a franchise that he knew where his off-season home was, where his wife grew, grew up, where his in-laws uh, owned a business, and where they've since gone on to raise their children. So, anyways... Roberto Luongo at Rogers Arena Thursday for his Ring of Honor ceremony. And from one Vancouver, former Vancouver captain to another, Marcus Naslin is back in town December 30th at Pastime Sports in Langley. And we're giving away two VIP autograph tickets. You can text hashtag Naslin to 778-402-9680. We're going to pick a pair of winners at random, announce them on the show December 20th. In time for Christmas, chance to meet Nazzy, get a signature at Pastime Sports in Langley, December 30th, starting at 1 p.m. This is your chance to win front-of-the-line VIP tickets. If you are interested, tickets available at pastimesports.ca. Let's get on to the game where Pew Suter is going to make his return to the lineup after missing 14 games. Like, it sounded like such a benign injury when he first left practice, but he winds up missing 14 regular season games. I mean, that's a fifth of the schedule. And just started putting some goals, too. He has not played since the November 12th game in Montreal that the Canucks won, of course, the night after losing in Toronto to the Maple Leafs. So, And the other thing here, he's in for Nils Amon, and... You know, Amon had been one of the penalty killers here of late, and Tockett was on Tuesday after the game talking about how much he's liked the look of the penalty kill here. So he had three minutes, I think, of PK time in that game. So a little surprising here that a it's Suter Amon. kills penalties too. Well, yeah, but that it's another. I know he's not great at faceoffs, but he's play center ice. Um, now, I, I, I PDG was the other. Option, I think, yeah. Kuzmenko coming off a goal. I don't think you'd, you'd do that to him. Uh, PDG was the other option. Maybe they, they I mean, it's a good good Florida team. Maybe they wanted some more veteran, you know, PDG's been around the block a little bit more. Maybe that mm-hmm. was sort of the goal. But Suter's had goals in four of six games before the injury. So he had just, I mean, four of six is a nice run. And he just Especially got, for a bottom six player. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, you know, hopefully he doesn't need as much of a run-up. Remember, that came after he was scoreless in the first, of what, nine games as a, uh, as a Vancouver Canucks. So 
hopefully it doesn't take him nine games to sort of get his legs underneath him this time around. Um, but this is one of only a few games that Bluger and Suter have been in the lineup. So th- this is the spine as they had hoped to have. Yes. And, uh, you know, hopefully things fall into place for the Canucks. I mean, hey, they've been playing better for sure. So th- it's not a, a, a huge worry. But if there is a chance that they can actually even be better from than what they've been, I mean, fabulous. This good word for it. Spine. One, two, three, four. There are four centers slotted down the middle appropriately. Mm-hmm. On to football, where the BC Lions have announced their 2024 schedule. And so let's go through some of the highlights here, Blake. First of all, it's a fully balanced CFL schedule again for the first time since 2019. Every Eastern opponent will now come to BC Place Stadium. We had gone off of that schedule for several years, so that's good to know that you can see every team in every market at a nine-team league. It didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me the other way. Three games against Winnipeg and Calgary again this season, plus, of course, touchdown Pacific against the Ottawa Red Blacks over on Vancouver Island. Four Saturday games, three Friday games, one Thursday game, and one Sunday game. Now, all those weekend games are 4 o'clock kickoffs. They have stuck with that. That has worked for the Lions. We know it works for folks in the interior and on the island to be able to get to the stadium and back home all on the same day. Uh, Three 7 p.m. starts, the one Thursday game and and two of the three Friday games. One 7.30 start. I don't love the 7.30 starts. Buys in week 8. 16 and 21. So once again, we have the Lions buys backloaded as opposed to two years ago. You remember yeah. when they had them all front yeah. loaded. And once again, you got one right at the end of the season for the Lions. Uh, the six summer games begin with the home opener on June 15th. It's a Saturday against the Calgary Stampeders. Leos begin their season in Toronto on June 9th. And then the first of three rematches of the last two Western Finals goes at Winnipeg Investors Group Field on the 21st of June. So the four o'clock starts are great. I mean, it's a tough schedule when you're getting Calgary and Winnipeg as your three gamers, you know, um, yeah. and two of them on the road in Winnipeg. So that's that's a tougher strength of schedule, certainly for, sure. for, for the Lions. So they've got that to contend with. But uh, hey, I mean, if, if you if you want to get a leg up on those teams, you're gonna have to hold serve there and, and mm-hmm. uh, win two of them. The other thing that I uh, one quibble here: the three games with Winnipeg are done by August 18th, so you don't have that late season showdown. Right. Of course, a game the Lions had in their hands and blew it late here at BC Place. Would have liked to have seen one of those games later. Later in the schedule, a for... late Montreal game is crappy. You no, know, uh, very odd. Um, yeah. At well, two, two of the late. final, yeah. th- uh, two of the final. No, no, I guess it's, yeah, no. it's earlier. Two Montreal games though past Labor Day. Yeah, Blake. Yeah. Um, which, okay, I mean, very home heavy to finish off the schedule though, right? I mean, they've only got one road game after September the sixth, right? Three of the last four at home, you got Hamilton, Calgary, and 
Montreal. That Montreal game, the final game of the season, Saturday. Four of the October. last five are at home. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right, you are. Sorry, my bad. So it's, it's. I mean, if they're if you're not in a great spot, you can expect to improve your uh, your lot in life. I would think. Um, over the final month of the season. Yeah, four of the last six against Eastern teams, though. That seems a little odd. Argos, Ticats, you're right. Right, Couple Montreal two games. Montreal games. Yeah. So. Interesting. Anyways, uh, good to see that the Lions schedule is out in time for Christmas, Blake. If you were thinking of a gift for the football fan, you got some games or season tickets to purchase from the BC Lions. Want to say a big shout out and a thank you to Riley and the staff at St. James Well in Port Moody. We got together last night with our friends Brad and Alicia from Yellow Dog for a little holiday gathering out in Pomo. So had a magnificent time there. Thank you to mm-hmm. everybody at St. James Well. Yeah, well, uh, we, uh, as you know, Yellow Dog is based there in Port Moody. And, uh, they had brought us to St. James Well in the past for trivia nights, so get back out there for a trivia night going forward. Hey, let's get to today's menu, and it's brought to you by Greta. Great spot to catch games throughout the season. Quick walk to the Rinker Stadium, a go-to spot for food, drinks, and fun. Pre-game, post-game, during the game, make it a game night at Greta, 50 West Cordova, or at GretaBar.com. We'll talk to Patrick Johnson here about, well, his Q&A with Jim Rutherford and everything entailed there, including Rutherford's future with the Vancouver Canucks, the never-ending saga of the practice facility for the Vancouver Canucks. Of course, we'll talk Roberto Luongo with PJ, as well as the search for another forward and a right-shot defenseman. No hashtags today. We'll get back to that tomorrow. want to focus more on Roberto and his big night at Rogers Arena. Rob Williams is going to stop by. Uh, fantastic discussion on the evolution of Roberto as a player and a person here in Vancouver. And really a, a complicated legacy, right? And I think that part and parcel of why it's ring of honor and not retired number tonight. There was always a yeah, but with Roberto here. Well, the, the arc of success is not a nice, smooth, upward no. thing with Roberto Longo. It looks like your heart rate. <laughs> and a little discussion because the Caps, Champions League, they know their roadmap. Yeah. Champions uh, Champions Cup now, by the way. Oh. It's Champions Cup. Oh, I will it put myself and E's and O's. Champions Cup, it begins with a familiar foe yes. out of Mexico. To Carson Price from All Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Surrey has the Nero EV available and in stock. That's right. Get onto the lot at Applewood Kia in Surrey. Drive away in your brand new electric vehicle. Be a part of the revolution. Financing from 6.49%. Go check it out. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. We are asking you, will Will a Canucks goalie ever wear number one again? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. Joined now by Patrick Johnson of the Province and Post Media. You did a big sit-down Q&A with Canucks president of Hockey Operations, Jim Rutherford. What did you learn? What did we learn? Uh, Well, Jim has a very nice office. He's turned his desk 
90 degrees. Um, I let everyone down for getting to take a photo. No, Jim, uh, clearly very, I mean, obviously feeling good. The team that he was hired to take over two years ago that was utterly floundering uh, is not. And, uh, you know, he, he was taking the opportunity to just puff his chest out a little bit that that uh, uh, this team is moving in a direction that, it sh- you know, it should be. Um, certainly... Uh, is not shy of the word of how do you become a con- or of the question how do you become a contender? Um, the, you know, like he's told everybody else, like they would they want to sign Pedersen. You know, that's their plan. Um, but also, it was clear to me. Listen, we haven't talked contract. We just want to make sure the player knows that we want him here. Um, and you know that the, 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 they are very comfortable with where they've landed with their management group you know the, the 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 points he highlights he made a point to highlight the roles of Cami Granado and Emily Casongay and um the analytics team and Patrick Alvin um you know he gave me a little tour I'll say this he gave me a little tour of the office you know pointed out where everybody said everybody's right there like there's a central sort of hive meeting area they're all have their offices around there ryan johnson has an office there um they're adding a big long desk to the conference room because he wants to have the scout meetings right there uh there's a, there's a real sort of sense of coherence you know talked a lot about rick Tockett, uh and why i, I you know i asked him was that was this the head coach you imagined he would be when you had an assistant assistant coach he said absolutely i mean he reiterated everything i think we started to learn about Tockett of how much how much he uh, is about passionate about communication and having, you know, that open door and being willing to listen. I mean, there was a big, a lot of that was about listening. That's what I came up with. I mean, Rutherford, mm-hmm. who has this reputation, is a bit of a, you know, old school taskmaster, you know, talks about listening. Alvin talks about listening. Uh, talk it, talks about listening. Like that, there's a big sense of sort of that, uh, you know, I think we would call it emotional intelligence from this leadership group. And he really tried to underline that yet again. He's not going anywhere, is he? I mean, no. with, with this turnaround, like if they had, I wonder if they were a 500 team, like if they got off to just like a fine start, wasn't bad, wasn't good. I wonder if the hunger would be there to for him to stick around. But with this team turning a corner here to some degree, uh, I get the feeling he's uh, he's going to want to see how this ends. Yeah, I, you know, I, I listen, he's 74. Um, we talked about his future and he, he knows he's very, you know, he's much closer to the end, to the end than the rest of us, literally. And, you know, there is a pride element. You want to go out on a high and, and certainly, you know, the, 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 the counterfactual, what if this had gone badly, you know, is, I can't imagine what he would be thinking. He wants to finish. This is the capper to his career and he wants to finish this on a high note, which I think fans should take. Solison, like they're going to keep being aggressive. Um, the point is to try to win, and um, yeah, that that he, he's feeling healthy. You know, he's he's t- you know discussed with me various little ailments. He's you know got old knees, he's got old hips. Um, he's had some sort of skin issues and things like you know the kind of stuff you deal with in your seventies. And um, but you know, so far so good. And and obviously he's got you know his son's in high school and. Uh, his wife, he's told me several times, really loves living on the west side, and they're happy here. They like what's going on here, and and the thing I find interesting is that how much ownership has been cited by the various people involved in recent weeks. Um, they are 
definitely trying to highlight, listen, there's alignment. We're getting along. I mean, we know this has happened twice before, right? Like things were aligned at the beginning and then they ended badly eventually somewhere. You talked to someone yesterday who knows that very well. Mm -hmm. um, so, but at the moment, clearly things are good. And I, a lot of it surely has to do with the fact they're just winning on the ice. So victory lap uh, of media tour. And you say, not, does he have a contract extension signed? Like, do I don't you think it's basically I don't know. in a drawer, yeah. ready to be in. My, I mean, certainly my impression when I asked him about that is that if there isn't, he's not worried about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I know he was sort of asked point blank about it. He doesn't get into it. So my impression is that, I mean, the impression when he got hired was that he was here for, you know, two plus an option, kind of three-year deal. We're in year three. Um it's also possible. The other part of me sort of flipped that around and said, okay, well, he's talking like this because he's trying to butter up ownership because he needs a new contract. Uh, so, <clears throat> but, mm. you know, that's always possible as well. I think, I think he feels, he feels like he, he certainly feels like he should be here. Um, the details are the thing that I think that we're going to have to keep pressing on because uh, that's what we do after all. Right. <laughs> um, just before we leave the uh, Canucks managerial hive here, mm. they got a water cooler, kitchenette, <laughs> tea kettle. They, know, paint, us, they have... paint us the picture here. Be a good reporter. <laughs> well, if you really want, <laughs> you go through the doors from the elevator, you turn left, you walk past Stan Smeal's office is still there. Mm. Um, Stan still has, I saw, actually saw Stan at the rink yesterday. Uh, you walk down a nice hallway, Jim. So if people remember the Jim Benning zooms when he would be sitting in his office and you'd see BC Place, sort of the 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 sales of BC Place behind him, it's that room. Mm. But and I, I actually honestly, if we really want to talk about layout, um what, the moment I stepped in, I realized where it was. And then Jim pointed out to me that one of the first things that, that Emily Castongay had done after she arrived was to turn Jim's desk 90 degrees so that he he faces the length of his of his office and there's a tv at the far end there's a little sort of sitting area with a couple of nice chairs there's a nice chair obviously across you know for him to talk to people at his desk no computer on his desk by the way mm. um but yeah but like jim benny would have been sitting like squeezed up against the wall behind him there was not it's not a very wide room anyway i've just Try to imagine people trying to get in, you know, having to push or push the door and trying to get in, move a chair and sit down with Benning. You know, it just it that 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 was something that stood out to me. So Jim has this long, nice office, beautiful window, got a nice view looking south over False Creek. Um, got some nice picture paintings on the on the back wall of his of uh, of his son and his wife and then his daughter that from his uh, previous marriage, who's 48 and a teacher of the blind. He was quite proudly telling me in mm, North Carolina. Wow. Um, and then you got Castongay next to that. Alvine is across the little hallway and there's sort of the central area. Uh, Johnson's behind that. Cami Granado was there. She's right on the corner. There's a little passageway out. There's another long sort of meeting room, um, where they're getting this due desk. And that is where they clearly get their lunches catered in because there is a nice serving station on the yeah, wall with yeah. snacks. Mm. No, oh. no, like white fridge that's stinky when you open it up because somebody's yeah. left their their lunch in the back. No, not that I could, that not that I noticed with yeah. fish. No, yeah. okay, not that. Uh, I but well, that room, by good. the way. But I'll just say what the, the the thing that one of the things, and then on the other side is the is on the other side of that is the analytics group, um, 
uh, only Aiden Fox in office that day. Mm. But uh, uh, you know, there's uh, explaining why looking at plus minus. minuses. Yes. <laughs> no, but I'll just say in that I long in that meeting like... in that meeting room, you know, Rutherford made it clear. He said, "Listen, we're gonna we are we have an we have a long table on order." So that we don't, we can have our scouts meetings here. We don't have to go to the park anymore. Which, you wanted to be you know, on record with ah, okay. pride of place, you know. Uh, right. Speaking of layouts, uh, for the practice facility, we park on West Ball and then walk. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's where it's happening, right? It's UBC. My parents live right there, and yeah. they start renting their space out to a Vancouver Canuck. Super fun. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I yeah, you, you poke around it. I I there's certainly interest behind the scenes and adding something. There's all I I think. There would be interest in if you look at if you look at that surface parking lot that's west of Father Bauer Arena next to the Osborne Gym, the tennis center. Yeah. Um, there's a there's this this random like it's very old school. Like I you know, it's from when that whole area used to be parking lots. It doesn't really make sense when there's a huge parkade across the street anymore. Right. And then someone pointed out to me, he said, What what could you fit in that space? I said, another ice sheet. And so, you know, the, I think there's there's notions of that. Certainly, if you look at the official plans, there's nothing like that. But but it would be very easy to to even just add, even if you needed more dressing room, training center space, even if you didn't put in a, a an ice sheet, there's space there. Um, there are other options on the west side. Like there's there, there's a the city has a ton of rinks. A bunch of them are starting to come up for renovation. Kits. There's a whole plan to redo Kits Community Center. There's a rink there, of course. Um, that conceivably would be an option. Uh, I think an interesting X factor in all this actually is St. George's because um, their hockey program is based at UBC. The Canucks use St. George's like facilities when they're at UBC. Um, Saints have a redevelopment plan that includes an athletic center for which I think they can kind of do whatever they want. If they wanted to build their own ice rink, that could be an option. I'm not. Do they have the money? Does Does St. George's have the money? Do you think? Well, <laughs> so this is where you know. I let's be clear. There are there are the 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 children of two separate NHL owners are alumni at that school. Yeah. yeah. So the head coach is Jansen Herkin's dad, Todd. Like mm. I think it's one I of those ones. Todd. He's, start making some phone calls yeah yeah that makes it comes too. together pretty quick yeah st george's has like vatican money they, they do so yeah. yeah so i'm not saying that but i think that you know so they so say they open up their own then all of a sudden there's there's space uh, you know like they i'm not saying necessarily end up st george's but there's a lot of moving parts around this uh but yeah they, they're not so let me ask it to me he can't they're, they're just not gonna be able to buy their own land they thought they could they can't and so they're gonna add add to something well, let me ask you about one of the moving parts because it's it's clear they're just not willing to buck up to the degree of build of buying the land and build a, sure. yeah. a facility. So they absolutely have to have a partner here, Patrick. Is that yes, sort no, of? I think that's because, yeah, that's that, that's that now what, clear. That's right? what Rutherford said to me. He said it's okay. become clear that we need you know that we'll be partnering with someone to do wow. this. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and still with a timeline of the end of this season, which. Uh, at this stage of the game, sounds. I mean, it was ambitious when he first threw it yeah. out there, and it's I sounding think they might more have a decision and more. by the end of the season. Well, he, but it's not going to yeah. be. Okay. Oh yeah, it's not open yeah. by the end of the yeah. It's, right. You know, and right I, as I noted, I think in my story, there is this long. I mean, whether it's true or not, I, that that one of the uh, items put in front of Chris Tanner when they signed him in 2010 is that we're building a practice yes. facility. 
Unbelievable. They didn't say when. They didn't say when. <laughs> Eventually. It's like the snuffleupagus of Canucks lore. Yeah. Yes. We have this practice facility coming. But only yes. children can see it. Um, your your children's children. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> children you haven't even imagined. Yeah, exactly. When we first started talking about it, they were children. Now they're grown. Um, will the Canucks regret Ring of Honor with Luongo with the passage of time? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of in the – I've actually kind of come to the conclusion. Let me ask but, it this way. Let me ask it this way. Okay. If Thatcher Demko gets to like a McLean Luongo level, will they feel like, yeah, well, that was the right call. That was the right call. Just establish the standard is the goalies don't get their numbers retired. I don't know. I mean, mm. I think the whole, the fatal error is having two different categories. I, I've kind of come down to, you know what? Let's not retire numbers at all. Let's just have a ring of honor. You know, do it, you know, do it like the Lions do. It's a wall of fame. It's these important, you know, hall of fame. Other teams call it their hall of fame. I mean, the, I guess they've won a Stanley Cup now, so it's hard to compare. But like the St. Louis Blues have a shocking number of retired numbers. Like people that had local, um, the, the plagers, like people who had local value, but you're just like, huh? Um, I mean, obviously the names that are up there are all team legends. Uh, they have a special standard. They There was a longevity to uh, all but one. You know, the real one is, okay, is Beret and Luongo, how different are they? You know, if we're talking about sort of commitment to the team and the way they left, I mean, personally, yeah. If you were picking a number to retire, it's Roberto Luongo and number one. Um, I, I, since the standards were set out there, but I think that the discussion in so many ways is is skewed by the fact there's these two categories. Like, why are there two categories? Just make one. But, but they've almost made a third category with Luongo, and that it's a Ring of Honor. But the pomp and circumstance around it is akin right. to a retired number. It's like they've split yeah. the difference here a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it tells you. Certainly, the marketing team feels like it should be a retirement. Yeah, right. You right. know, and the marketing team and the social media team are from here. Um, so the local sort of on the ground feeling is exactly that, that this is a, this guy should be retired. Certainly remembered fondly as fondly as, as any of the other guys in there. I mean, I, I, you look at the ring of honor and there's sort of that cult hero status for Harold snaps and, uh, Kirk McLean, I, is obviously in his time was revered. Uh, going down the years, you know, is again, a perhaps a bit more easy closer. I don't think, He's Gary Smith. You know, is he in, in now that we look back over the years, is he that kind of caliber of goalie, really, realistically? Um, Matias Olin, fan favorite. Yeah, Alex Burroughs, fan favorite. Uh, Luongo, obviously, the discussion is always going to be a bit more complicated, not just about retired number, just about how you feel about him. That, that big game element that people love bringing up that um, I think is unfair, but. Yeah, this is a guy, like I said, I think I've made clear. He should have his number retired. Um, but honestly, I'm not that fussed about it. Because in the end, you're recognizing someone's record. It's kind of retired anyway. Like Casey DeSmith turned down number one. And I talked to him yesterday about what a legend he is. And he had a lot of thoughts about 2011 and watching the team then. Positive thoughts, to be clear. Well, I'm glad you brought up Casey DeSmith and number one. Yeah, that's what we're asking on our poll question today. Will any Canuck ever wear number one again? 
Frank Corrado used the term soft retirement with us yesterday in terms of that right. number. Where are you on number one ever being used? By the, Does the by training the staff yeah. have to turn over so that then none of the them remember? Staff, no longer, the equipment you know? staff have to, yeah, yeah, like like how? And if you do think someone wears number one, how long do you think it has to be? Until it, oh, I mean, it'll be if it does get a signing. I mean, I think you're right. For you know, I think it's like we're talking like a generation, you yeah. know, twenty years yeah. from now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it might be just a soft retirement. I I, I totally could see that. Um, unless you know they're gonna go. Are you sure you want to wear this number? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Some guy could come and be like, "I am only gonna wear number one." I mean, goalies. There are very few number ones anymore, anyway. So it's kind of a safe one. Um, if down the line they trade for a Vezina Trophy winning guy who's wear who's always worn number one, maybe yeah. that's the kind of moment. Where it happens, yeah, or a, yeah, exactly. a Corey yeah, Schneider worthy level of the name, yeah, exactly, yeah, 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 a goalie, a goalie who's worthy of the name, yeah, yeah. Like if you draft a goalie in the first round and you develop him and he gets the NHL and he wears number one, you might think he has okay. to be a first rounder though. Well, he's good. Well, that's even that, a Corey Schneider level, you know, goalie prospect. Even that, like an internal one, I think that's a lot of pressure. Think, I, no? I think what okay. I think it's if you're bringing in, you know, Ryan Miller, you know. Yeah. 2045 Ryan Miller, you know, yeah. like, and he, he's a number one. Um, I think, I think that's it, but there's so few of them now that it almost, it almost feels like you're not even going to run into that as a, as a, why not as number issue. two? Why don't they wear number two now? It doesn't look good. No, it'll be silly. It's, I mean, uh, with Ethan Bear out of the way, uh, do you think they're on the hunt for anybody else in the immediate here? Uh, yeah, I mean uh, that's the 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 there is there is a, a swinging for the fences element at this point. Um, you know, Rutherford said Patrick's aggressive, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, the, he's the, clear, he's clearly taught him in the way of yeah. early work too, right? Yeah, like, yeah. exactly. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, I think um, yeah, they. I've said it all along. I think they've been interested in finding another forward. I don't think they actually get out from, even if they wanted to, I don't think they get out from under Kuzmenko. I'm not really sure there's a way to make that deal work. Um, but yeah, they've been interested. They've been looking at a forward for ages. I saw someone else mentioning this older. Oh, I'm like, yeah, they've been looking for a forward for ages. What about, they, go ahead. No, and and yeah, they, they would love, I have no doubt they would love to add one more defenseman because they wanted to add Ethan Bear. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you if you're a big Ilya Labushkin fan or <laughs> Sean Walker. Or yeah, D'Angelo. sure. Is anybody a big fan Tyson of those people Barry. besides the parents? I mean, come on. Barry. I mean, Barry is such a strange fit. Like, that's not, I don't think that's really no. what I'm going for. No. Um, well, that's Labushkin. why I say Labushkin because, like, well, he's a. A right shot. <laughs> I have to admit, Labushkin is the example. I think it might have even been it was four, three or four seasons. It would must have been four seasons ago, 2019, 20. And and the Canucks were playing the Coyotes, and I literally looked down and he was a player. I was just like, who? Because it, <laughs> yeah. you know, he was it was a, he felt like such the classic coyote at that point. Had you know, stay-at-home defenseman, not a lot of points, very, you know, you very long rush, you know, a Russian name. You just had never heard of this. And you're like, who? Mm-hmm. And yet here he is. He's just been this steady guy. And yeah, 
I just, he just doesn't, that's the, that's the sort of mentality that I think we assume they would go with for looking for, say, a partner for Quinn Hughes, but that's not what they're looking for. You know, they want a guy that can move, that can play, and that was what Ethan Bear was, and that's what Bill Trump yeah. is now, so. Labushkin has zero goals yeah. in four separate seasons. It's the yeah. damnedest thing that you could play. 41, 51, 46, and 28 games yeah. in four separate seasons and not have a goal in any of them. Yeah. Trent Yanni um, for the for the for the kids out there. Yeah. Look them up. Well, or any Canucks defenseman other than Quinn Hughes right. of the last 15 years, really. But I just um, meant the zero goals aspect. Oh, yeah. there was a lot of zero goals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we get we see points from defense now, Patrick, sure, sure, sure. this year. Yeah. As you uh as you're well aware, it's the damnedest thing. Uh, it's a lot of fun. You're our number one, buddy. Aww. Thank you for the time here. Appreciate all this, and we'll catch up next Thursday, our final hit before Christmas. Lovely. Joined now by the national sports editor of the Daily Hive and its offside sports vertical, the one and only Rob the Hockey Guy from Twitter, Rob Williams, back with Sir Harrison Price. How are you? Doing great, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Having fun uh, going down memory lane here. All the Roberto Indeed. Longo stories uh, coming coming flying back here. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. What struck you this week? Yeah, I mean, I love the. I, I thought the interview you guys had with uh, Mike Gillis was was absolutely fantastic. And and uh, you know, I, I mean, every time we hear Gillis speak, you, I feel like we learn a, just a little bit more about that era. Um, but yeah, you know what? I think it's it's kind of it's, I feel like Roberto Luongo going in the ring of honor, it's filled with controversy. It's, I, I feel like we're right back, you know, like we're right back in 2014 <laughs> or right back in 2011. The de- debates come flying back. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I, ha- I had a game with my men's league uh, team last night and the debate went into the dressing room about Luongo retired number or not. And then someone said, oh, if they retire his number, they should put McLean's number up there too. And then that set me off. And then, and you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, we're, we're right back there. What, um, what was the division in the room? It's never easy with Roberto. Huh? There's always a something with Roberto. Yeah. How, how did the poll question land in the room? Not our poll question, but just the, the rafters or, or ring. What, what was the division? It was split. You? you know what? It's yeah? split. I mean, yeah. cause you look at the numbers and they're obviously hall of fame worthy, but like, I think the thing with the Roberto Luongo is that they're what, for every big moment in the playoffs, there was like a soul crushing moment, right? Like you've got the save against Sharp in, in game seven and, you know, against the Blackhawks, but you've also got like, he gave up a goal in the last minute of that game. And, and, and how can you think about anything in 2011 without thinking about Boston and he had like the great moments in, in at home in that finals, but then he had like the blowouts and against the Bruins. So there's always something else. And, and I was trying to think about it, you know, kind of this morning, like what is like the moment where like, it's just unequivocally great. Like it was awesome the whole way through. And for me, it was probably his first season. Oh, six, Oh seven. Everything was incredible that whole year. But of course, what do we remember about that year? Like the moment, and then, you know, because of Luongo probably bringing it up the most is sitting on the toilet in overtime while, while his teammates are going out there. 
And then, of course, the game-winning goal, the series-winning goal, the, the goal that ends their series is a soft shot from the blue line where Luongo's distracted calling for a penalty with the referee. So it's just, you know, it, it's just a, what an incredible career of just so many, the highs and the lows, there's so much drama and it was so much fun. But uh, it's kind of perfect now that we're still debating. You know, that is it's still it. a debate. Even in retirement, he's still delivering drama for uh, for the fans. Of Spot on, Rob. Absolutely 100% right that, you know, here we are. There was always a yeah, but, and we get to, like, really, his final bow yeah. in Vancouver. Still, yeah, but. And there is still uh, this swirl of controversy around. I'll remind you, he, he finally beats the Black Blackhawks after giving up the shorty in the final minute to go to overtime in Game 7. He was pulled earlier in the series. He had to come back yeah. and regain the crease, in part because of Schneider's He was a fallible everyman, right? Yeah. I think that was part of his allure, too, is that he, as spectacular as he was, we also saw him as an everyman. I think that it was completely um, uh, susceptible to to errors and, and emotion. Well, yeah, I mean, he evolved, too, right? I mean, wouldn't it have been interesting to see you know, if Luongo had evolved sooner, if the Twitter account and the personality and all that had come out uh, prior to that cup run, you know, yeah. like, I feel like that he had this persona before that cup run that, that maybe just kind of added pressure onto his shoulders where I think where, when he was more comfortable about laughing at himself and having those moments later on in his career, that that sort of took the pressure off a little bit. And because uh, I, I mean, we we have to be honest. Like the the, the pressure moments got to him, right? Like he, he it, his worst moments were in those those high high pressure games. You know, he had some great moments. I mean, like he he, he won a gold medal. Don't forget. Uh, you know, he he took them as, as to Game Seven of the Stanley Cup Final. And like I said, he had some great games in that final, but. It's just, you know, there's always the, like you say, the yeah, but is, is, is always there. With he deserved Luongo. a redemption well, arc the next year, but 11, 12, he deserved a redemption arc and they, they got maybe robbed of it with Daniel and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean this. Um, I, I don't mean to discredit those who came before him with the Vancouver Canucks because the franchise was around for nearly 40 years and had a couple of good Stanley cup playoff runs to the finals, but. I almost feel like there are two chapters in the Vancouver Canucks history. One is pre-Roberto Luongo, where you get those two playoff runs. But you also, and you used the term yesterday with Gillis Blake, oh, what's going on on the wacky West Coast there? Where the Canucks are noted for things like the Bertuzzi incident, McSorley Brashear, vote for Rory, and all these sort of like, less serious things in terms of the NHL tapestry, not less on ice. Yeah. Less yeah. 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 Not necessarily competitiveness and winning and boy, the road through the Stanley cup oh. to the Stanley cup goes through Vancouver. To me, he sort of brought a competitiveness and a seriousness to the brand, to the market, to the organization yeah. that didn't necessarily exist before him, at least not in the same measure. Is, is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think for the duration of Luongo's time in Vancouver, the Canucks mattered, right? Like they were usually a playoff team, right? Like that, I think they they missed the playoffs uh, just once, and then in the oh, final season as well, yeah. as well. Mm -hmm. um, 
but they mattered, right? And, the, and there were, there were, you know, they won playoff series, even, you know, you know, getting to the second round before the, the cup run, uh, president's trophies, like, like th- they were, they were a team that mattered. I mean, there were, there were, I mean, other, you know, the, the Lyndon Bray uh, era obviously was a, was a time where the Canucks were, were relevant as well. And uh, Naslin Bertuzzi Morris, and of course, but that, that was when they, they took the next step and became an, a truly elite team. And, you know, that was, that was with, with Luongo and that was with his arrival that they became that. And, and you know, before the Sedins and guys like Bieksa and Kessler, before they really became star, uh, you know, in, in the Sedins' cases, good players to star players in those other players' cases, you know, developing into really good NHL players. Before that happened, it was Luongo backstopping them when they had, you know, a, a mediocre or subpar team. Luongo was the one winning them a division title. Luongo was the one winning them a playoff series uh, virtually solo. Um, you know, that he was the guy that, 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 that kind of kicked it off and was their first superstar uh, for that. Uh, for that well, we also yeah, did remember how much Hank and Danny praised Roberto for changing their mindset, getting them more competitive. And, of course, their careers flourished after Roberto came to town before again they were kind of an nhl novelty all oh, these identical twins and they're pretty good players and then roberto gets there and they start winning and suddenly it's like whoa these guys are league mvp level players well it was, Sorry, a, it was a piece that uh that they didn't have yet in terms of a, a like a marquee goalie remember we're coming out of alex ald seasons and that sort of stuff um and it was a time when we deified goalies a lot more than i think we do now i i, I think people recognize that guys like Thatcher Demko are a huge uh, a bonus and asset, but I don't think we make them the superstars that they used to be. The goalie was such a huge P if you had a big, if you had a real one, that was a superstar. And I don't know that we necessarily make goalie superstars anymore because we've seen, you know, seven out of 10 goalies win a lot of Stanley cups here in the last 10 years. I, guys, I was in university when they traded for, uh, for Luongo. And I remember I, I actually interned at the, the, the Canucks for, for four months. And I remember the interview process to get that internship. And they had asked me, like, what do you think about their moves in the summer, right? Like, I guess trying to get a sense of, like, if I followed the team or whatnot. Right. And I, I responded, like, well, it's, it's, it's great they finally got a goalie now. And uh, I didn't realize that that was like that was like kind of a controversial take, I guess, inside the uh, the walls of Rogers Arena. And they were like, oh, oh, oh like, hot, oh, hot take. Right. Um, but it really was true. Right. Like they, we had years and years of Dan Cloutier, uh and, you know, and then, you know, all had some some good times there. But like that was the thing like that. The, the, the Canucks had years and years of of really good teams only to just get beat because they they had terrible goaltending. and and. Luongo coming to town was like, hey, finally they fixed that spot. Uh, but yeah, but I got the job anyway, so I, it, 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 it seemed more—it was more controversial than I than I thought. I was because I, for me, I was like, it was an obvious point. Like, like they finally got a goalie. Do you remember who was interviewing you? It was uh, Rod Brathwaite. Oh, oh Roddy. Rod, Rod, Rod was my boss. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Rod! What a what a gem he is. I can only imagine who is this whippersnapper not drinking the Dan Cloutier Kool Aid. <laughs> um, number one, it's our uh, poll question today. Will a Canucks, not should, but will a Canucks go 
goalie ever wear number one again? I think I think there there will be. Yeah, I think that. I mean, we saw with Casey DeSmith, like number one was like that was his number, and I remember he was asked in training camp about it, and he kind of he basically hinted like, oh, "Geez, yeah, like I'm, you know, of course I wasn't going to wear one because of Luongo." He didn't say it in exactly those many words, but that's that's what he meant. I, I mean, if it's not retired, it's fair game. I, I think that the, the time will pass, and there'll be a, a goalie with uh, you know some sort of resume that wears one, and and we'll we'll roll in here and wear one. I think the only way that doesn't happen is is if I don't know new management or or something changes uh, down the line and they decide to retire. Roberto you think that's possible? Or the switcheroo, as Blake keeps talking. Well, the switcheroo, the switcheroo on the night of. But but do you think do you think like five years down the road uh, they would elevate? They would upgrade a guy. Well, I, mean, I don't think five years, maybe ten years. I think yeah. maybe as time goes by. Uh, if you get a new management group, if uh, I don't know, new, I mean, I don't think ownership is changing anytime soon, but I, 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 I guess I look to, to what happened with Pavel Bure and, and time passed, you know, they, they overlooked him, right? Like they retired, they retired Linden, they retired Naslin, they didn't retire Bure until uh, well into, you know, into retirement for him. So I do think that feelings can change. It would seem unlikely here because some time has already passed and you would think that, okay, this is this is the decision but um but yeah so i, I would consider that a long shot that, he, that we get his number retired now but yeah no if it's not retired it's it's fair game and i i think it should be fair game like if you're not retiring it then yeah give it to someone else maybe don't give it to someone like right now like if you're casey DeSmith, smith like that was a good call not picking one because why open open that up but if you're you know, if, if, if they bring in a, I'm, I'm having trouble off the top of my head thinking of another really good number one in the league. But if you have some a, a, a player or a goaltender that, that has starred in the league and, and wears one and comes to Vancouver, that player should be well, within their rights to wear one. With Burray, I, I, I think um, prior to his induction to the Hockey Hall of Fame, which you're right was a catalyst, but one of only a couple of catalysts, one of a couple of catalysts, you know, he asked out. He threatened not to play, and I think a lot of people inside the building looked at it and looked at who was in the Raptors, who they knew was going in, and in Hank and Danny, and said one of these things is not like the other. Uh, I think it was at the owner's behest, frankly, uh, that Pavel Bure got his number retired, and I think that's what some have a lot of trouble with here is, okay, if Pavel Bure can ask out, and get his number to the rafters after an election to the Hockey Hall of Fame. How come the same standard does not apply to Roberto? I've got four number ones in the league right now. That's it? That's it. That's Whoa. it. Wow. Wanna, Keith, wanna. Keith Kincaid, Uka Pekka, Lukanen, Jeremy Swayman would be the most pedigreed, I would think. Mm -hmm. uh, and Lucas Dostal in, in uh, wow. Anaheim. Yeah, crazy. Gone out of style a little bit, hasn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That used to be, used to be a, a go-to number, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, um, I, I think with Burry, you know, Burry had to mend some fences, I think. And I think, you know, a lot of fans throughout the, the 2000s were, were not really Burry guys. Like, it's not like people were banging down the door, like, Burry's number has to be retired. Like, it, it eventually came to that. But it wasn't like before he went in the Hall of Fame. That wasn't a, a huge, huge talking point in the city because nope. it was it was a split thing, and people forget. Like people forget that like when Luongo was traded, 
he came back, he was beloved. When Burry was traded, he was hated, right? Like, like people, people were really mad about Burry. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not only demanded a trade, he sat out, like he refused to play while under contract. People forget about that, but you know, he mended fences. And I think it's, it's fantastic that they've, you know, brought these guys back in and, and, uh, you know, you think about, I, I, you know, I think about, uh, you know, growing up in Vancouver, being a Canucks fan in the 90s, like there wasn't a history really to look back on and, and to be proud of. And I think that Canucks fans now, they have that, like they have these legends, they have these like Hall of Fame players that they can look back onto and, and be like, those were players that played in a Canucks jersey. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, and here's the, uh, here's the other thing on Burray, Rob. If they win game seven in 2011, I'm not going to say people forget about Pavel Bure because how can you forget about a talent that magnificent and a guy who was just that eye-popping the way he played the game. But suddenly, everyone from 2011, to your point, gets further extended legendary status here. And I'm not sure the history pre that team gets quite as lionized as we sit here today. Like I'm, I think the '94 guys continue to get a whole lot of run in this town because 2011 fell a game short, and for some '94 guys, they're okay moving on. They yeah. talked a lot about that team and that run, and for other '94 guys, it's kind of like one of their calling cards, one of their signatures as they walk around town uh, with Canucks fans. So. Yeah, look, as we have always said, you're allowed to celebrate your history however you so choose as an organization. You would hope that there is a understanding of the fan base and those outside the building and bringing their cares and considerations into the process as well. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it, it, it really is interesting to, to compare the, the 94 team and the 2011 team because there's so many similarities in some ways because they both went to game seven, riots after both of them. There were, you know, they, they needed, you know, they had the dramatic game seven win in the first round. You know, they had, mm -hmm. they had the, the, this amazing run through the, the second and third mm -hmm. round. So it's very similar for both of them. Even, you know, you've got Greg Adams sent them to the final in 94. You've got uh, Kevin Bieksa sent them to the, to the final in 2011. So, so many similarities in there. But the one thing that's just different is that in the final, the Canucks' best players came up big and they were the underdog and they fought back down mm -hmm. from 3-1 to yeah. force game seven and put a great effort in that final game and just came up just so close. And, it, and did it on the road, right? In Madison Square Garden. It's just the opposite for that 2011 team because they were the favorite. It was supposed to be their year. They had the series lead and their stars did not have great series. We always talk about Luongo in, in, in that series, but you know, the Sedins did not have a great series in 2011, right? Like, the, like Kessler did not have a great series in, in that final. Um, whereas when you look back at, at the Canucks, like you look back at like Trevor Linden, like, you know, you know, scoring two goals in game seven, you look at Kirk McLean standing on his head in game one and, and, uh, just absolutely stealing a game, uh, in Madison square garden. So it's just, it's, it's those vibes, right? It's, it's, it's really, I think that's the only difference between 2011 and, and 94 is, oh, are the, oh, and, yeah. and we look, 
we were able to look back at 94 for many years, it, even even like the, the years close to it afterwards. And, and fans could be proud of that run. And I think 2011, everyone was kind of ashamed and just, it was just a, such a sore spot because it was the one that got away. Yeah. All that said, he gets, if, if Luongo gets a two nothing shutout win in game number seven, he could very he well could, win the cons. He might, he might've been the cons. No, like, no, it's been said. Uh, it it would have changed everything though. Right. Like yeah. absolutely yeah. Everything, everything changes. There's probably, everything. you know, there's probably like five retired numbers from that team up, up at the Raptors. Yeah. Luongo Boulevard. Yeah, <laughs> I think Roberto ends his career as a Canuck or at least spends a lot more time here than yeah. he winds up doing. I think Corey Schneider gets traded early and becomes probably a franchise goaltender for somebody sooner yeah. uh, than he became no i mean uh, to to play that butterfly flaps its wings game and uh, everything that changes yeah. if they win that game seven rob great fun great insight appreciate the conversation till next week thanks guys Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. I got to visit them at some point here. Get your holiday. Fresh haircut for her. Fresh enough. Yeah, yeah, my mom's going to want to take photos. Yes. And what, doesn't like when I wear a ball cap around uh, the Christmas dinner table. Is that what they call it? Ball caps? You, no hats. Yeah, you don't call it a ball cap. No, yeah. she just she's from very, a British family. It's very old timey. Not supposed to wear hats at the dinner table. Um, it's very American, actually. Ball caps and tennis shoes. That's what they call mm-hmm. like anything athletic in the states is regarded as a tennis mm-hmm. shoe. I don't think we call that here. I don't hear tennis shoe as much because oh, the. Yeah. Basketball shoe has become so ubiquitous, right? Oh, like it, it's not accurate, but they call it. If yeah. you wore a basketball shoe, they say, "Oh, those are nice tennis shoes." Like even though they're not. Hey, John Shannon said it the other day, "What's the hockey jersey called in Canada?" If you're old enough, yeah, sweater, sweater, mm-hmm. rock carrier. <laughs> uh so Whitecaps here. Mm-hmm. You wanted to get in their Champions League. We. Oh mentioned that earlier in the week that this could be a very uh, long season beginning very early for the Whitecaps with their appearance in Champions League after winning another Canadian championship. They found out who they're going to face in February in a home and away aggregate score uh, scenario. It's not like League's Cup, remember, where it was just, it was a, or in uh, the playoffs where it was just, you know, best of. Mm-hmm. Back to the old-fashioned aggregate, two-leg aggregate. Yeah. And they're facing Tigris again. <laughs> Which, you know, hey, it's got star power. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they've got a chance to actually get a good crowd for that. Because, I mean, Gignac was worth the price of admission in and of himself. And is that going to be the first week of February? Is the game here? They in haven't BC released place. the exact okay. dates, but it's it, it'll probably be early February. Right. Uh, again, it's home and away. But you get a home date at, at BC Place against a, a heralded club. Mm-hmm. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. Now, if they happen to get past Degris, it's all MLS the rest of the way until the semifinals. Or potentially CPL, I guess. If Cavalry were to upset Orlando, they would face Cavalry from the CPL. Um, 
But yeah, there's no other exotic teams the rest of the way in their section of the bracket. They happen to get a pretty boring kind of bracket where it's all CPL outside of Tigris. I, I understand it's footy and you oftentimes get teams that aren't necessarily akin playing each other, but how do you sell cavalry in Orlando? Yeah, you probably don't. <laughs> you probably there's two CPL teams that made champions yeah. cup. So it's uh yeah, we'll see. And and like the the other side of the bracket, like in the semifinals, they are most likely to face a a Mexican team or, or an exotic team because I don't think is there a CPL there's yeah, Nashville is is there, but that's it. Two other things on the caps. Uh, number one, you had mentioned uh, the Italian legend Giorgio Cialini would be a nice positional fit for him. Alas, he is retiring yes, like after yeah, a magnificent yeah. career, one of the top center backs for the last decade, I and mean, they won the Euro. Um, the other thing is, is Columbus winning and, and beating LAFC in MLS Cup in the second championship for Columbus in, in the last four years. You know, you look at the list of MLS Cup winners, and like every few years, a team crops up, pops up that isn't major market, massive budget, huge DPs, right? Yep. This should fuel some more hope, particularly with the project that we all think Axel Schuster really has on the right track in terms of, okay, we don't have that budget. We're not going to be able to allure the biggest DPs coming from Europe or elsewhere. So, how do we go about? Fashioning a championship club. And if you take a look at Columbus winning two of the last four, of course, we go back and remember Portland winning in 2015, Blake, which was kind of a surprise. You know, it's not just the Seattle's, the LA's, the New York's, the TFC's when they're blowing their their brains out with the budget. So. Well, it's interesting. Um, the other thing that's happening right now, well, free agency started, and I think the Caps are going to be uh, involved in free agency because because of these Champions Cup games that I just mentioned. They, they want to make sure they've got everybody in place. So I suspect they go inside Major League Soccer and get a player or two here in free agency. Yep. Uh, but they're also, and they have budget. They have money. Yeah. But the, uh, the MLS committee that decides on things like cap and you know and dps they're meeting right now a handful of governors are 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 in charge there including greg kerfoot who has been a part of this oh greg's had a pretty big position around the mls executive table absolutely so exactly you know how much wiggle room major league soccer teams have to go get guys like Messi uh is, is partly you know decided by guys like greg kerfoot and here's the other thing if, if I'm a garden variety MLS owner, meaning if I'm not Beckham in Miami or yeah. you know, Will Ferrell in that group with LAFC, I probably want a guy like Kerfoot at that table. Well, he like to be the antidote or at least the yeah, but guy. He's been a breaks kind of guy. I would well, think. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you take a look at what some of these teams are now spending and, you know, the long history of this sport commercially in. North America includes chapters with teams just overextending themselves in terms of what they can afford and what they can do commercially to to underwrite it. Let's get to Wednesday's poll question. Will Brock Besser win the Rocket Richard Trophy? Yes or no? What did the people say? Uh, They said no. Correct. Percentage? 70. 79. Oh, wow. One Canadian hustler says Besser leading the league in goals is going to make him difficult to exclude from the All-Star game. 
Who doesn't make the cut? Hughes, Patterson, Demko, Besser, Miller? Yeah, there might be some really tough calls with the Canucks in terms of all-star game. Joe, I'm pretty sure TSN and Sportsnet have already engraved Austin Matthews' name on it. Don't think they know who Brock Besser is. <laughs> Crazy Canuck. My prediction is he gets 42 goals this year. He will probably finish third. I think 42 gets you to third. I, I, I think he's I, – I, I love that take. That's mm -hmm. a great take. 42 yeah, no, I, sounds about right, and that would probably put him third or four, something like that. That's yeah. uh, appropriate. Yep. Pretty good real estate there, Crazy Canuck. Kevin says probably not, but a lot of the competition – uh, but with a lot of the competition completely behind him, I enjoy seeing this bounce back from him. Yeah. I think that is absolutely universal here amongst Canucks fans. And Frosty Jack says, this poll is quintessentially Canuck fan base results. Currently at 85%. Well, it finished at 79. Zero belief in what they see. Last year at this time, management was being ripped to shreds for their criticism of Boudreaux. Unjustly. Fans and some media can't accept facts. It's unbelievable. Okay. Mm -hmm. Big Besser believer there. Errors and omissions from Wednesday's program and beyond. I have but the one, Grady. Uh, Gillis said we hadn't picked in the top 10 or weren't accustomed to picking in the top 10. Uh, they did have the 10th overall in 2008 where they selected Cody Hudson. Right, yes. And then they got Horvat as a top 10 pick after making – the Corey Schneider trade. Anything else there, sir? Yes, you were talking about uh, Thatcher Demko's performance against the Bolts, and you mentioned Nikita Kucherov shot, when in fact Kucherov had zero shots yes. in the game. My bad. I meant Brandon Hagel. Yeah, it, it was I a Hagel chance across, at, right after a Stamkos and he, chance. It yes. hit off the end of his blade and kind of went through the crease. Right. They were doing a lot of those cross-crease passes my bad good catch. i love the way kucherov moves on the ice oh he oh. weaves in and out like he, and like he's he, just silky huh he might be one of the most underappreciated superstars in the league uh, I, I had that tweet the other day i think he absolutely is and he's got the hardware like he, he feels like a edge. shark in the water like yeah. he, he is scary he's to watch killer. <laughs> yeah yeah and just consistently puts points up year after year yeah. and i get that you know he's played on a lot of great tampa teams from over the years and that he's a winger but if you take that away and just isolate him for what he's done, he's got to be in the conversation more often than not with mm -hmm. McDavid, McKinnon, Drysaddle types. Mm -hmm. Betway bets of the daytime. I uh, first of all, I love that we have this uh, Saturday triple header. Just when college football ends, you get the NFL moving into Saturday. That's, right. That's an appropriate day to schedule for the. Uh, I, talking again with a friend last night at uh, at the bar. These Thursday games are just, uh, especially like on four days rest with travel, like it's it's a recipe for ugly football. These primetime games this year. Ugh. Anyway, Saturday, triple header, looking forward to it. Denver at Detroit. It's the nightcap. Broncos 7-6, and six, but not currently on a playoff spot in the AFC. Lions still smarting from that loss to the Bears. I'm going to, has all the hallmarks of a close game late, so I'm going to take Denver in the four points. Uh, I think the Buffalo Bills are fat and happy after their narrow victory. I looked at this line, too, and boy, you get points with Dallas. 210 on Dallas. Yeah. It's on the road, but still, mm -hmm. uh, I'll, I'll take that. 210 for the Cowboys. On your Betway Bets of the Day, please play responsibly. Must be 19 plus. 
to play. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us, Rinkwide and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your podcast. Follow on social, Twitter, Insta, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.